This episode of the Talk Hard podcast is brought to you by Trailer Skips Tasmania and Full Bore Skip Bins. If you're doing a bit of work around the house and you've got large amounts of waste items from household waste, green waste, building or renovation waste or heavy waste items and your piles are becoming bigger than Ben-Hur, give Dern a call to organise your trailer skip or full bore skip bin today. Trailer skips use a unique design incorporating a skip bin built into a trailer for easy removal and tipping. Or if it's a normal skip bin you need, a full bore skip bin will be the one for you. You don't even have to pick it up or dump it yourself. Dern will deliver it for you and he'll take it away and dump it. How good's that? Give him a call today on 0409 801 635. Trailer skips and full bore skip bins. Don't go the half job, go the full bore. Back to the Talk Hard podcast. Get ready for the ride. Here we go. My name's Briley. My name's Jake. My name's Penny. And this is our father, Brendan Hinkson's podcast called the Talk Hard Podcast. Yes, it is. It's not rocket science. Read the title. Oh, thanks for that, Jake. We've got some great people lined up for you guys. And we hope you enjoy. Our father will be blabbling a lot of shite. So if you do enjoy, leave a review. Like and subscribe. Grab your miso and enjoy the show. Thank you and enjoy. On this episode of the podcast, so pumped to have on the great man Zane Littlejohn. Zane joins the podcast to have a chat about how a kid from Exeter with learning difficulties went on to become one of the most successful coaches in Tasmania and in turn got a job with the Brisbane Lions where he's now head coach of the Brisbane Lions Academy. We talk about decisions he's made along the way to further himself and his career, great leaders that he's worked with which have shaped who he is today and his thoughts on life and coaching and how it's never too early to put things in place if you've got a dream to go out and get it. He talks about the successes in his career, some of the hardest calls he's had to make as a coach which rocked him at the time and his philosophies on coaching and what makes a great coach. He talks about his passion for teaching and how the COVID pandemic rocked his career and his family and made him go back to teaching which he thoroughly enjoyed and he's not afraid to share his ambitions for the future and how he's going to get there. This is a fascinating insight into the mindset of someone who's achieved so much, but as Zane will tell you, he's still got a long way to go to achieve his ultimate goal. But like he says, shoot for the moon, because if you don't get there, you might just land amongst the stars. Enjoy. Zane Littlejohn, welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast, mate. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks for having me. It's, um, I've listened to a few now, so it's nice to, uh, nice to get invited on. Thanks, mate. No, I appreciate you taking the time to have a listen, and um, yeah, it's sort of been a been a bit of a long time coming this chat I know that um, we've sort of spoken over the last few months about you coming on and I was really keen to to hear about your journey and um, most of the delay was probably me getting my head around zoom calls and you know just stepping into the <laughs> 21st century <laughs> and um, sort of get, getting used to that but um, yeah I'm really stoked that you come on mate like as soon as I started the podcast you're one of the people that I put on the on the list because obviously Burn and Northwest Boy had sort of followed your journey and even if I didn't start the podcast, I thought I'd I'd love to sit down with you and have a bit of a chat about you know how you got to where you where you got to and you know yeah, you did it sure. a little bit differently which we'll which we'll talk about but um yeah just really stoked to have you on. No thanks mate. It's like I said, yeah, it's a great to I love the love the concept of the podcast, mate, and um yeah, really really my pleasure to be on. So yeah, most most people that listen to the podcast will know that we sort of go back to the start of your journey, and and I'll let you you tell it. You um you grew up in Exeter, is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. I was actually born in Launceston originally. Yep. Um, and, and dad being a police officer, um, we sort of got moved with him. Yep. As such, where he sort of was stationed. So um, he was sort of stationed in um, in Frankfurt. Oh, we lived in Frankfurt. I went to school at Exeter, but he because he was still stationed in Lonnie yep. at the time. So I yep. went. I did. I did kindergarten at Exeter Primary, and then he got moved to Devonport. Yep. So Devonport Station. So I was like, well, I'm assuming mum and dad decided, well, do we move the whole family or we just stay based where we are? But so we, they kept us where we were, living in a little town called Frankfurt. So just outside of Exeter. Yeah. Sort of between. Extra in Devonport, so it's along the along the old extra highway or whatever it's called yeah. there. And we, um, so mum and dad said, well, yep, no, we'll stay there. And we lived at Frankfurt, but we actually ended in the community in and started going to school at Devonport. My sister Bree and and me, so we commuted in there and um, started. So I did grade what one, so yeah, grade, so prep and grade one at, at Devonport High, uh, yep. Devonport Primary, sorry. Yeah. Um, and then dad got moved again. Yep. So dad got transferred to Sheffield this time. So okay. that's where we, uh, we we actually generally moved then. So we moved and um, and lived in Sheffield and we did the rest of our primary schooling there and the first couple of years of high school living at Sheffield, but we went to La Trobe High, obviously. So um, that's sort of where it all, all sort of all the early days started. But I remember living at Frankfurt, going um, hunting for rabbits with a um, a kitchen knife and my, my pushed puppy and um, <laughs> wow. yeah, catching... Primitive. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Catching tadpoles in the dam, and that were the early, early memories I have living out at Frankfurt and yep. and uh, riding my bike and just stuff like that. It was really outdoor days those days. Yep, good country upbringing, mate. Yeah, 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 it's good fun. Um, yeah. And um, so your early days in school, so you you're always sort of mad on sport, obviously, and you had a bit of a, yep. a natural ability there. But um, you sort of struggled a little bit academically, and tests proved that um that you sort of had a little bit of a a learning delay, but that was something that, that helped with you with your sport. Is that correct? Yeah, big time. So um, I guess it was probably through obviously kindergarten prep was pretty cruisy. Yeah. Um, grade one, not not so bad, but it was sort of and, and mum being an educator as well, sort of grade, from grade two onwards, I started to really struggle in school, um, yeah. in particular around um, auditory and and um, well, auditory cues really. So yeah. we, the, the fashion teacher stands up the front of the classroom this is what you got to do go and do it and I really struggled to comprehend and take all that in so mum thought well we need to speak to the guidance officer so I spoke to the guidance officer at Sheffield and anyway I ended up going away and getting a lot of tests done and 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 came back to I um it's got a fancy name and I can't remember what the fancy name is I apologize but I came <laughs> back with a learning difficulty so um, from that point it's probably um I was very lucky in that regard that I had um had something now that okay because as a young kid you, know, you don't want to be seen as dumb in the classroom you wanted to make sure that you could keep up with everyone but I could have in my own peace of mind then oh, well, there's a reason why I'm like that so what can I do to make sure that I don't fall too far behind in class and yep. um because I really enjoyed school I, I love going to school there's no issue with me going to school but I, yep. I didn't like like anyone doesn't want to sort of be seen as left behind or, or yep. not fit in as such so I guess I am um, really made sure that you know and, and I guess I've got some strategies around that um did you come up with yeah. the strategies yourself or did you get some sort of outside nah, help with that? Yeah, or? yeah. Now the guide the guidance officers and that at the schools gave me strategies and the and the teachers at the school as well. Yep. Sort of okay, when you're teaching Zane, um, and we're doing say comprehension where you you get a um you read a book, yep. um, and then you get a list of questions you've got to answer after. I just couldn't do it because I couldn't take in the, the reading and the information I took from the reading and remember yep. it. it was just in one ear out the other type thing. And I'm sure everyone ha- thinks, Oh, that's me, but what what the concept was for me was um, there was a massive delay in me taking that information in. 
Yeah. Um, so I could read it and read it and read it and read it. And wouldn't matter how many times I read it, I still wouldn't take it in because it's just a delay. I almost need to read it, take a second, read it straight away again um, in that period. So what one of, one of the strategies I remember was, okay, well, let's give Zane the questions first before he reads the text. Um, so I'd read it. I'd have the questions and then I sort of knew what I was looking for. So I'd be reading a text and whatever. And comprehension is massive in, in sort of high school through the English days. And I was, um, I just found out, okay, well, I sort of know what I'm reading for now and gave me real, real good context within that. And um, obviously, you know, it was never, never fun because I wasn't skilled at it as such. So, yep. um, but I just sort of gritted my teeth and got through. But um, I guess this day and age, if I didn't have those sort of, um, I guess, if I didn't go to the guidance officer and get the support I needed, who knows where I would have been with my schooling. At what age, obviously footy is a massive big part of your journey. At what age did you pick up a footy and start getting into that, that sport? I can't visually remember kicking a football as a young lad at all. I visually, the only thing I remember with footy starting when I was about nine, right? Probably, yep. Um, yep. and that's what I played at Latrobe in the in the under tens there when yep. um, you know, Latrobe Red, I think Red, I think we were when they had the two red and blue team, and yep. um, yeah. So I remember playing. That's sort of my very first memory of footy. Yep. Um, of playing it, I remember watching the nineteen ninety grand final, um, Essendon and then Collingwood. I'm on on VCR on the tape, yep. Um, and watching that because what I was 99, I was four. So I remember because my dad, well, my whole family were pretty much Essendon supporters, and um, I watched that game and Essendon lost, and I thought oh, I'm going to go for them because they lost their underdogs, blah blah. Yep. And that's how I sort of grew a love with that. And then yeah, but I never really remember playing any footy until yeah, like I said, I was about nine in the under tens at yep. Trove, and um, but it was always sport, always a footy in the hand, basketball, um, sorry, tennis ball. When anything like that, just sport, sport, sport. I always had a ball in my hand. I remember sleeping with a ball at times in bed rather than a teddy. Yep. Um, yeah, so, yeah, n- never – I can't really – I can't put a, an actual date on when I sort of really got into footy, but um, – yep. Just evolved naturally, really, did it? Yeah, just evolved, mate, yeah. Yeah, I think it was under 13s or under 14s. You actually made the decision to move from Latrobe and go and play at Longford to try and test yourself a little bit more. Was the competition there a little bit better or what was the attraction yeah, so, going there? So what, what actually happened there, mate, was – so I went to high school yep. um, and there was no – the only only football comp that I could play in was high school footy comp. And no disrespect, it wasn't obviously a competition which was going to really progress me as a player necessarily, yep. but it wasn't um, a really challenging – it was a challenging competition, but it wasn't – and I still played in it, but it wasn't one that really helped me grow. Um, and it was actually, um, again, through cricket, relationship I had with Devani, so – Clint Viney, who obviously you've had on on the podcast previously, yep. and yep. and his old man Kerry, who's a who's a I think might have been a life member at the Longford Footy Club. Yep. Um, Clint Dinger, I call him. He was playing up there at the time. I yep. mean um, the juniors as well, and might have been under sixteen by then. Um, and he's and my dad and Kerry played a bit of cricket together. And Kerry, oh, why don't you bring Zane up here and um and have a game? So I went up there, throw it up some Wednesday nights and trained, or or they played on a Sunday, and we could play school footy Saturday. So it worked out really nicely. Where we were able to travel up and play in that competition. It was a proper comp. So you're playing for a club. And and so a lot, a lot like what it is now, obviously, in, in Tassie, where we under 12s, it stopped. It sort of didn't um, didn't keep going on the Northwest. So we thought, well, how can we keep progressing? And then yep. um, we decided, well, well, we'll give this a go for a year. And um, I travelled up with Nick Azardis. So Nick Azardis came with us. And yep. um, up we went and gave it a crack. And we didn't lose a game all year and then lost the grand final. So. Oh, bugger. That's a, such crack. a common story, though, isn't it? Yeah, a great lesson in life, and and one one thing I I um at the time was obviously devastated about, but it's a great lesson. I was a fan, and I'm glad I learned that lesson at that age rather yep. than obviously later on when I got into my coaching more. 
So what what did you take from it? Do you think you guys sort of got a bit ahead of yourselves? Did you think it was just going to happen? Or yep, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And I think we almost thought, well, even if it doesn't go all our way, there's others who will take the slack and pick it up. But right. But like, so Nick obviously dominated that year, won the league, BNF, um, and whatnot, and and we'd almost knew because we hadn't lost a game all year, and we were uh, five weeks out. We knew we were going to play in the finals, and then we win straight through the grand final, and we just knew, well, we'll, we'll make it, and um, and we'll win it, and that's just how it was at Junior. And you never thought any different. Oh, well, we'll just win. Yeah. And even my son now at at um at seven years old, he just thinks the same. Oh, we'll just win, and away we go. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so it was it was a really good lesson in regards to you know don't take anything for granted. Make sure every opportunity you get, you you really make sure you you take it with both hands and yep. um, don't expect anything because anything can happen. Yeah. So did you have much success after that? After learning that lesson, did you win any premierships sort of in the junior day? We did, mate. So we won the next year. We didn't lose another game Beautiful. from that point on. And, and my my lesson, and I remember um, woke up that morning of the grand final. So the first one was actually at, at York Park or Utah Stadium. And the next year was at the NTCA grand. And we actually played North Lonnie the second year, which was interesting. And, yep. Ironic. Um, yeah. I said to mum, I said, mum, I want to win the best on grand medal today. I yep. want to play really, really well. That's, that's my goal. Um, I didn't have, I didn't have as good a year as I had the year before um, individually. And, and it was never about an individual accolade for me, but I just said, I want to make sure I sort of want to set that goal. So, cause I didn't play well in the final, the grand final the year before. Yep. Same coach, pretty much the whole same team. And I just wanted to make sure that you know I I gave my best foot forward and, and and put in a really good performance. And lucky enough, I did win the medal that day, which was just ironic. And it, it just made me feel like, well, you know, you got good players, but I wanted to be I wanted to be known as a player who could play well in the big in the big, big games. games like I'm, I'm only 14 at this stage. Like I'm not I'm not 25 by any means, but I just wanted to make sure that you know I've watched by at by time this age I've watched footy every weekend and I'm probably watching every game on TV. I've got the possibility I'm going to the Trobe to watch. Those games and yep. um, at the rec ground and, and whatnot. So I'm just trying to, you know, idolise players, and that I just wanted to be like them and make sure that I could, um, and like I said, play well on the big stages. Yeah, I love it. Sort of, you know, listening to your mindset back then. I think it's just, and it's one thing that does shine through with your story that you know it's never too young to, you know, start to have a bit of a focus and you know want to better yourself. You know, obviously, as yeah. as you say, sports fun and especially for kids having a bit of fun, but you know, if you've got a goal and you want to progress and things like that, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, dreaming big. And like you say, you know, going into a grand final thinking I want to win the medal today because the better that you play, then the more chance there is the team's going to win. So. Well, it still would have been a successful day if I, if I didn't win the medal and we won the game, I'm happy, but I just wanted to set myself a, a lofty goal. And that's probably yep. um, going into the game. Well, I don't know if it was a genuine opportunity, like genuine chance for me to do it, but obviously it was, but yep. um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure like, say that if I play well, it's going to help others play well and mm. ideally we win the game. It's yeah. like that old saying, you know, you dream big or you shoot for the stars, you might not get there, but you'll still land on the moon. You still get something, you know, you're still going to go progress yourself further anyway, aren't you? Spot on. Spot yeah. on. Mum used to always tell us that every time she'd drop us at school or whatever, it was, yeah, reach for the moon because if you miss, you'll land in the stars. Yep. So, yeah, Excellent. and that's probably probably what came from that was that that point. So, yeah, um, and at the same stage, obviously I was playing um, state. I was trying to make the state cricket team for under 15s and all those little things. So um, I found cricket a real valuable source for my footy because I, I found cricket as a real battle. Yeah, bowler v bat, and I was more of a batsman than necessarily a bowler. I used to like bowling, but that real battle as well. So I've got no doubt that sport helped me with my mindset into my footy. Yeah, yeah. We'll just digress to that just quickly because you were a pretty good junior cricketer. You played for Tassie, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I played under 15s for Tassie, yep. um, but but my my best cricketing. Um, achievement was 
was playing A grade cricket. I played A grade cricket at 14. So the yep. same year we won yep. the premiership. I actually made my A grade debut for Sheffield at that stage. Sheffield. Shane Wooden, Sean, Sean Gow, those guys were, were playing. Um, Timmy Irvine, all these, all these little um, or great people I looked up with to for so long. Yep. Um, and just really, but what they taught me is the battle of, you know, the 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 mental battle of cricket um, and sport. That it's not just skill because Sheffield at that stage we weren't, and they've gone on to win flags since that. But we weren't the most skillful team by any means. But um, little Timmy Irvine taught, taught me so much around that. You know, you just got to fight and grit your teeth and really make sure that, you know, you've got a ball, you've got a bat, you fight your, your backside off effectively to make sure that you, you don't lose to them. Yeah. And that, that, that no doubt helped me through all, oh, even where I am now. So, um, and then, yeah, moved off, moved off obviously with my cricketing, uh, made the state under 15 team. All through sport, there's been some great lessons for me. And, and probably at the time, I didn't know these things, but over time, after reflecting and looking back at them, I've realized, oh, yeah, that, that's the lesson I take from that. Yeah, and you know we can all all learn from things, and you know especially looking up to leaders that we've got around us, particularly at that young age. And, and you're right, like a lot of these little gold nuggets will, will drop into your life, but at the time you don't realise, but then you might reflect yeah. on it back later on in life. You're some right. of the some of the gold nuggets I got from from cricket days, mate, probably not um, able to repeat on here. <laughs> you <laughs> can amazing, if you want, mate. We can get quite loose on here sometimes, but some amazing things happen in <laughs> happen in the cricket room and yep. uh, in the change rooms at unbelievable times. Especially when I was a fourteen year old boy. Wow, I opened my eyes up. But you know, <laughs> obviously, I, I went on to play with Latrobe, and yeah, like that was some of the mo- most enjoyable time and um, challenging times I had with cricket. But um, I think I mentioned to you a, a while ago, I probably played under one of the best leaders I've ever met in yep. my time in sport. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So that leader that you spoke about is Paul Dixon. Tell us what, what made him like a really good leader. Like what stood out at the time for you? So the thing, about, the thing about when you think about cricket, it's 11 v 11, but it's really an individual sport because yep. it's bat v ball. It's only in that moment of time, it's a bowler v the batsman. Now the fielders help, absolutely. But in that moment of time, and then there's team elements that come through it. You've got to make sure you play your role in the team. If you're opening batsmen, see the new ball off, all that type of stuff, and you help the middle order open up and, and they can play the game. Bowler, you know, swing the ball, all that stuff. Thing, um, the thing that really stood out with me with Dicko was um, his ability to understand every individual in that team inside yep. and out and what yep. made them perform their absolute best. Yep. So he knew... Um, Look, I, I opened the batting for, for Latrobe and I opened with David Squibb. Yep. Um, and that, that was no doubt part of Dicko's planning that, okay, Squibb is a senior player. I'm a bit younger. Yep. But Squibby, he knew, there's no doubt Dicko knew that Squibby could keep me calm and keep me, because I was never going to score big runs. I wasn't a big power hitter. I wasn't any of that. But what I was was that dogged fight. What I learned ages ago at, at um, Sheffield that I'll just get in behind this ball and I'll just let it go and I'll wear you down. Me, I'm just, me V you. Me V yep. you all day. And, if I finish with 18 runs, but I'm not out at the end of the day, well, I win. Yep. Not you, I win. That told was my mentality, but I know cricket's changed a fair bit now. But Dicko gave me the belief that that's okay. That's okay to be that. You don't have to be the big hitter, mate. We've got other guys to do that. You play your role. And it's came back to the playing the role, but just really understanding each individual so well, inside yep. and out, on a cricket field, off a cricket field, and what made them tick. Um, yep. and, and it just made every time you walked out to play cricket, under Paul Dixon, you felt like you had 100, even though it was 11 v 11, you had 100 other people with you because you knew you weren't alone, even though you were 1v1, bat v ball, you were yeah. never alone. It was just felt, yeah, re- you felt really empowered that you could yeah. do your job. And um, we ended up, I think it oh, was it 04, 05 or 
506, we won the flag, 33-year drought. Um, and I remember he said, oh, before the grand final, because the Friday, Saturday, Sunday grand final, he said, oh, I want to meet everyone at the bluff or somewhere near the bluff anyway. And we just went for a walk as a team. And he said, oh, I don't remember the exact words, but it was along the way. Well, hey, we've got this far. We've got nothing to lose. No one in the world expects us to win it because um, we come from fourth um, playing Bernie at Devonport Ovals. And, you know, we hadn't won one for 33 years. And just the, just that point gave us the absolute belief that, you know, we were we could create history and, and yeah, and win the flag, yep. which we went on to do, obviously. Yeah. So we'll obviously talk about your coaching later on, but is that something that you sort of took took forward, you know, when you were sort of coaching and, and dealing with people who sort of getting into their mind and finding out what, what make them tick? 100%. So when I, I first started coaching um, at North Lonnie in, the, um, in 2010, I coached the under-18 team. Yep. And we made the grand final. And I sent Dick our message the, night, uh, the Wednesday night. So we're going into our Thursday session, Friday off, play Saturday. I sent him a message Wednesday night. and just about, you know, thanks, you know, leadership, I learned a lot from you, blah, blah. And I just asked him one one question and a bit of advice. And he said, and I still use this to this day, he wrote back, this is all he wrote. He didn't write thanks, blah, blah. He just wrote, don't get nerves mixed up with excitement. Yep. So I thought, okay, because I was nervous. I'm about to coach my first ever grand final. Of course. But actually, I'm excited. It's okay. I'm allowed to be excited about this and, and whatnot. So we, um, yeah, I'm obviously, yeah, that's so... Yeah, there's no doubt him. Um, I've had a lot of good leaders over over my time and mentors, I call them now, that that um, there's no doubt I've molded my coaching around them 100%. And, and yep. to an extent, some of the not-so-good ones as well, I've learned and go, well, that doesn't work. I didn't enjoy that as a coach. And I've got yep. growths in my coaching that I need to learn. But um, Dicko definitely played a big part in the coach I am today, for sure. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, well, shout out to Dicko. He'll be listening. Hopefully he yeah. doesn't get too big a head. But no, he's a, he's a great man, no, the bandit. He's a great man, yeah. yeah great <laughs> yes. man. Um, so just, again, just back onto your, your footy for now, mate. So you went back to La Trobe then in your under-18 year, is that right? Yeah, so yep. um, I played under-14s um, yep. at Longford. And yep. then we had the decision um, to go and play. I went straight to under-16, so there's no under-15 team. Okay. Straight to yep. under-16s. and But at the same time, obviously, La Trobe had approached myself and Nick and said, well, why don't you come and try it in under-18s yep. and play under-18s? So we're well, so I'm 14 playing under-18 footy. So, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so which I played all year, and I still remember um, on my fifteenth birthday I played because back in those days, sometimes the reserves were a bit short, so yeah. they run out the under 18s in the last quarter. Oh, can you play in the twos? Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sit on the bench. Yep. No worries. So anyway, the runner came out to me on my fifteenth birthday, which is the last round of the year it was, twenty um, fifth of August, and the runner came. Oh, you want to sit on the bench in the twos? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Like, I was just chirping it a bit to get the yep. opportunity. So sat on the bench in the twos, and ever since then, that's where I played my footy from then on right through. So, um, and obviously until I moved up to Lonnie, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so played 14, 15 year old, 16 year old, or from 15, I actually went on to play some senior footy there. So yeah. Yeah. And you actually made it into the leadership team at La Trobe at quite a young age too. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 I'm not sure exactly what age I was, but um, under when Manny Lynch was coaching there, another yep. one of my great mentors and, and leaders who I learned so much off um, was, um, chosen to be a part of the leadership group, which is a fantastic opportunity. And again, um, not expected, completely unexpected, but a great opportunity. Because again, um, back in those times, Latrobe hadn't had a lot of success on field, but still has some unbelievable leaders amongst yep. their footy club in Woody and uh, Jarv and Jiffy and uh, Dutchie and all these guys were great leaders and been and done a lot in their footy. And um, I just learned little things off them along the way. And 
just try to be a bit of a sponge and was lucky enough. Yeah. Got, got elected into the leadership group. I can't remember exactly what age it might've been, um, 18, 19, maybe 18, yep. 19. Yeah. That age. And, um, yeah, it was a great opportunity. Yeah. Did you have any, um, sort of anxiety or self doubt about, you know, being one of the leaders amongst an older group? Cause obviously you would have been one of the younger players on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not necessarily. Um, no, not necessarily. Again, because Manny being one of the great leaders and that I've been a part and, um, and the players who I've been around, because I've been around at the club for so long. I've, I've been there since I was 14. And so although I was young, I was quite old at the footy club still. I'd been there for quite a while, for sort of four to five, six years. So it was sort of, um, and Manny just gave me great belief. And, and we, we, although you have a title at the footy club, there's still leaders who don't have a title. We had Brett Hadley running around, yep. uh, Michael Peters, all these guys who were quite old, older, so I won't say old if they're listening, <laughs> older and more more experienced than me, but they just gave the belief that, yeah, what you need to do to, you know, everyone's out here together. So the, the, the fact of tossing a coin and that is is the minutest role really from, yep. from being a leader. Yep. So we can all be leaders. You don't have to have a title. Oh, absolutely. No, hundred percent. That's something now I really instill into my players that just because you're in a leadership group or you're not in a leadership group, you, you, everyone's a leader. Yep. So around that, that time was about sort of when you went down to uni, is that right? You started sort of doing a bit of study. Um, always had in the back of my mind, I wanted to get to AFL Taz and Taylor Haley was the trainee at the time. He played a fair bit of footy at Devonport. Yep. Um, he'd finished his traineeship and then, um, they advertised for a new trainee. So I thought, oh, here's my opportunity. So bang, I applied for it. They rang me and said, oh, congratulations, you got the job. And away I went. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is what I've sort of set my goals on to doing. And yep. uh, yeah, so off I went to do that. And um, so I did my first year um, sort of by myself as a trainee. So I had myself, um, Barry Gaby, and then Nick Probert was still in, in, the, um, in the office as well. And in the second year, um, Darren Crawford joined us as a trainee. So they put two yeah. trainees on. And we got Ryan Johnson in as well, who spent a bit of time playing at Alverson and originally from Launceston, though. Um, it was in the office as well. And anyway, I knew Crawford from playing footy against him and, and whatnot, but wouldn't say we were mates in like, oh, hey, let's go out for a beer or whatever, anything like that together. But we just knew each other through our yeah. sport. Anyway, so um, what effectively happened was um, I did my cert two in sport and rec yeah. um, in my first year. And then my cert certificate three in sport and rec in my in my um in my second year at, at um AFL Taz. And then I sort of was talking to Baz and go, well mate, I've finished my traineeship effectively at the end of this year. What what is there? And I said, well we can't really guarantee you any job because we don't have the finances. No one's leaving to put you into a role um or whatnot. And it just so happened to be one day Sam Wish Wilson. And it's just amazing how how the world does things. But he came in the office because him and Crawford were quite close, went to school with each other and whatnot. And Crawford, he came in, but Crawford wasn't in the office at the time. So I just got to talk and we said, oh, what are you up to next year, mate? And, oh, we're going to go to uni. I said, oh, okay. We're still looking for someone else to live with. And I said, oh, okay. And I just thought about seeing this. Hey, if I, if I could get into uni, would could I live with, could I live with you? Yeah, just off the oh, cuff. Yeah. yeah, okay, righty yeah, Yeah, no worries. And anyway, so got accepted into uni um, and said, wish, well, I'm coming. And so, yeah, so that that's sort of how, how it sort of evolved and, um, off I went to uni and my first couple of years, I still played at La Trobe and traveled back yep. uh, sort of two years. And, um, and then I sort of myself and Crawford ended up coming to uni as well. Myself, Crawford, um, and there's a few other, a few other mates who decided to come up to uni um, as well. Sammy Wells, uh, Callan Newman, all Northwest coasters. They all decided to come to uni and we thought, well, instead of us all traveling back, why don't we play footy together? It's going to be easier. 
Yep. So we all decided to um to have a kick at North Lonnie and that's sort of where the North Lonnie journey started from and as yep. players and that was yeah, oh eight I reckon. Yep. Um yeah, we started to do that and um yeah, and it's funny that um Croft, my myself, Croft and Wish sort of thought, well, we're no good at talking to clubs. What are we gonna do here? And this is the bloke he is, Manny said Manny Lynch, who who just left Latrobe and, and started going um coaching Latrobe, sorry, and started working with the Mariners a little bit more. And he's like, Well mate, you want me to have a little bit of a chat? the clubs for you guys just to take the emotion out of it and yep. you know just whatever didn't didn't sort of advise us where to go but just give us the information rather yep. than them trying to talk to all three of us and uh, and whatnot they we all got dealt with individually but sort of the information that the clubs had to offer us and and yep. whatnot but we ended up um, all choosing all choosing north lonnie and um yeah the rest is history and yep. got through yeah uni and all that from there, so yeah. Yep. So during that time too, you played a bit of VFL footy for Tassie. You played for the was it the Devils back then, or is that? Yeah, it's the Devils back then, mate. So um, it was it was my last year, I reckon. I reckon one of my last years at Latrobe, I yep. played Devils. Yep. Um, under under Manny, and Manny gave me Manny sort of pretty much said, mate, just have one crack at it, have a go. So I did did the preseason out of Olveston, and then obviously we went up to Lonnie for uni because I was still I was my second year at uni, I reckon. Um. And yeah, I thought, oh, well, I'll have a crack and did my best ever beep test in that preseason, got super fit. And that was really driven from Wish and Croft and these boys who were doing it as well. And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. And they sort of structured a little bit differently where you could train on the Northwest Coast, you could train in Lonnie or you could train in Hobart. So they sort of had to three hubs, didn't have to relocate. So it worked really well with uni. And then, but we also had regional games where you actually, the Northwest played against the Lonnie, plays Launceston in the North and then played against the South as well. And I remember we played one game um, a re- like a game we played, I think it was Lonnie, or no, it might have been the South team down on Queenstown Oval. Um, so the got gravel. experience down yeah, the gravel, all that, which was a phenomenal experience. And one, something I'm so glad I got to do because I can say to Void and my, my son and all that, and even Fags, who's obviously a Queenstown born and bred, that, yeah, I played on the Oval, it's not that hard, just keep your feet and whatnot. But um, yeah, so just a great experience. But yeah, I was lucky enough to um, to play a couple of couple of AFL games that you got to go away and play in the, in the practice game, which I thought, oh, this is cool. This maybe just giving me a taste of it and whatnot. And then uh, about round midway through the year, round 11 or 12, I um, got the phone call that I was going to play my first game, and which was yep. really exciting and completely didn't give myself an opportunity, but thought, oh, well, I'll have a go and, and see what happens. Yeah. So and we didn't go that well. So that's probably why I got a game. We, we finished, we won the wooden spoon that year in the VFL, but Still, I still got to play a couple of games. <laughs> You're pretty sort of humble and self-effacing with your football ability, mate. But obviously, you did have a bit of ability. That was one thing that I was going to ask. Obviously, coaching ended up being your journey. But was there ever a time that being a professional footballer or AFL was a dream, or did you sort of know your limitations early on? Or no, so it was always my dream. So my dream's always been to go to the Brownlow Medal. Yep. So ever since a young kid watching the Brownlow, I'm like, I want to go to the Brownlow Medal. And mum would always say, you got to take me, you got to take me. And I'm like, okay, I've got to take my mum to the Brownlow Medal. That's always been my goal. Um, and it got to pretty much my draft year and realised, well, I'm not going to I'm not gonna get there now as a player. Um, played VFL. I thought, oh, well, I'll keep going. I'll have another crack at this. It might be an opportunity. Um, and thought, then it came to a point in, what was it, 2000 and yeah, 2010, 2011, which I'm still only 23. So I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not going to get there as a player. So what, what other way can I get to the Brownlow medal? Yeah. I, t- I can probably try and buy a ticket. It cost me my arm and a leg and, <laughs> and um, try and go as a date. Yeah, not probably not my way. Well, hey, what, 
yeah, why don't I try and go as a coach? So um, still always will be my goal and why I do part of the reason why I do what I'm doing and trying to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's always ambitions to uh, to get drafted. That was always my number one priority. And obviously then the realisation, well, hey, it's not going to happen, but it doesn't have to change my goal. Yep. So my goal didn't have to change. I can stay on the same path and, and realise, well, I just gotta, I've got to just go sideways. And sometimes in life that happens where you're going down one lane and, oh, shit, hang on, my goal's still the same but I've just got to take this direction to get there now. So, yep. which has happened for me over COVID a little bit this, over the last two years as well. Yeah. Excellent. So you said, so back to, back to North Lonnie then. So you, you finished up playing at about 22, 23. Is that, is that right? Yeah. 22, I reckon was yep. my last, yeah. 20, oh, I would have just turned 23. So it would have been my 23rd year. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So obviously you you would have had a fair bit of football left in you if you wanted to keep playing. Was there sort of an event or some sort of experience or something that sort of crystallised? Right, I'm going to focus on coaching from here on. I'm going to you know put playing on the back burner. Yeah, probably the first thing that um that came to me was and and this is probably goes a little bit against what I'm all about, but I got dropped from senior footy that year in 2010. Yep. And I was coaching the under-18s yep. at the same time. So what, what what tended to happen, what my Saturday looked like is I'd get up early. So say we played in Hobart, get up early on the bus with the, with the under-18s and yep. coach them. Then I'd have the reserves game off to refresh and away we go. And then I'd play. But then what they ended up doing, they, they wanted to, um, I guess, put the under-18s in a bit more of a spotlight. So they put them game two. So I'd end up have to leave the under-18s at three-quarter time to go and get ready to play. And I'm like, Right. Coming in the year, and I was just mentally fried of a, of a Saturday night, like mentally, because I'm a deep thinker, very deep thinker, and I, I overthink things at times, which is a hindrance. But I do overthink things, and it came to a point where I thought, well, this is this is not healthy, and it's probably not great for me. And um, I was getting dropped, so I went back and played reserves footy. So I'm like, well, well my footy's being hindered as well. But I thought, well, and and Thane Brady, who's still the president of North Lonny Footy Club, came to me and said, well, Zana, have you thought about, mate? What about just having a year off footy and just concentrate on your coaching? Yeah, and at the time I thought, oh, hang on, what are they telling me? They don't want me to play anymore. And then I thought, but really deep down, I think he was just looking out for my mental health and my, yep. my personal, you know, making sure that I'm happy and I'm doing what I wanted to do because I had to train for footy and I had to coach footy and then all that, and it, it just really wasn't, um, you know, I, I could sustain that and 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 have such high standards at both. I play really high level footy that I wanted to play, but also play, also coach at a really high standard as well. Right. And it just wasn't, yep. wasn't sustainable. So, something I had to give. Yeah, something I had to give. So I thought, well, hey, I'm, I'm 22. I give footy away. I'm young enough to come back and play. If I, I'm, I'm missing this. I'm young enough to come back. Like, it's not that hard to get back and play footy and I'll never yep. come back. There you go. So from that day, <laughs> so I coached our, our Colts at North Lonnie that year and did some stuff with our seniors. Yep. Um, that was in 2011. Um, and then yeah, I actually played one game. Actually, I'll tell a lie. That 2011 year, I played one game with Uni Mowbray. Okay. It was Brett, Brett Lasky, who coached our reserves a year before, which I played a few games in. He said, oh, you got to get, you got to buy. You want to come and have a kick? So I went out a kick and um, kicked one goal, two against some Pats, which Buzz Howard was coaching at the time, Nathan Howard, and yep. um, ended up getting the win, which was good. So that's my last ever game of footy at Uni Mowbray Oval, which is pretty, pretty funny <laughs> to think that I went to Uni and I played a, Played a, um, actually played a proper game and that's my last game. So yeah. <laughs> Funny how things work out, mate. Yeah, it? it is. Yeah, it is very funny. <laughs> yeah. So, like, eventually you, you progressed to getting the, the, the senior coaching role at, um, at North Lonnie. But so those, those couple of years in between coaching the unders to going to, to coaching the seniors, did you put any other specific things in place? Was that a goal of yours to actually get the senior coaching role or did that something that just uh, fate would have it? Or 
No, it wasn't a goal necessarily. Um, my goal at that stage was just to get my really just get sink my teeth into my teaching and, and graduate from that. So yep. ended up getting there eventually. But was it 2012 that you got the senior coaching role? It was, mate. Yeah, yeah. So I was sort of um, again got my first first real teaching job um, that year before that into 11. Yep. Uh, so that was my real ambition was just to get a really good sink my teeth into teaching, get my permanency around that, which took obviously takes time in Tassie and and whatnots, but. Um, Jeff Dunn, um, the late Jeff Dunn, who, who's passed away now, I think, and she sort of, um, he was the head coach the year before, and I'd worked closely with him as the Colts coach, and he was, so the reserves coach, and he was the, he was a senior coach, and he invited me, I, I coached in the box, I coached our defenders that year at the senior level as well, and, yep. and whatnot, and um, he sort of recommended me to the footy club, I think, at the time, and so sort I of said, I think Zane's ready to do it if, if you need someone, and at that time, I think we'd had, um, Chris Whitford in 09 as the head coach. We'd had um, Paul Atkins as the head coach in 210. Then we had Jeff Dunn in 211. So we're going for our fourth senior coach in four years. And I'm like, yeah. wow. And I think the club was a little bit, well, we need some stability. Um, and I know everyone talks stability is, a, is so vital. So I never sort of really expected it. And um, yeah, sort of sat down with Thane and, and the board and had a bit of a chat with them. And they offered me the role, which was, which was fantastic. Yep. You said um, one of the things with our correspondence before, you said through that time in the early days with your coaching, it challenged, your words were it challenged some really important relationships that you'd made. Can you explain yeah. that to us a little bit? Yeah, I can, I can. And um, I openly say it was the hardest time of my whole coaching life um, to this point. Um, I'm sure there'll be more challenges coming, but uh, so two twelve. So when we think I've been appointed senior coach, I'm a non-playing senior coach. I've played with nearly everyone who, who I'm now coaching. Um, and I'm going to ask them to do things that I, I couldn't do because I wasn't good enough or um, things that now I, I'm not doing because I'm not out there to show them. So um, I learned so much as a coach. So I remember ringing Matty Armstrong and talking to Dogger and all that and about, you know, it's just um, Adam Sanders and all that. It's about coaching and getting some mentorship from them. And I remember I'm thinking that I need to show these players that I have knowledge. So I'd walk in. Still remember, I've actually still probably got slides on my computer or on my hard drive of my very first meeting and had so much information on it just because I thought I had to show them that I know what I'm talking about, which really I had no idea. Because these weren't my slides. Yeah, these weren't my slides. These were slides that other people, they had no relevance to us as a football club. So slowly I learned that, okay, less information, but make sure it's valuable to us and who we are. But anyway, the, the, the challenging bit that came to me was obviously I played with a lot of these boys. Um, Lee Harding, Shane Wager, Darren Crawford, as I know, I met Crawford a long time ago, um, played a lot of sport against him and then went on to play sport together, worked together and all that. Um, but the end of um, end of 2013, so Crawford being captain, um, and the end of 2013 sort of came a time where you know we, we'd finished eighth three years in a row. So 10 team comp and we're finishing eight. So you're a long way away, really. Um, we might have even finished ninth in my, in my 13th year. And I had to be true to me and what I'd learned along the way and how we're we going to get better. And I had to believe in what I thought was the right way to go. And that was to go with real youth. We, we need to go a lot younger. And um, unfortunately, Croft got injured that year. Um, he actually hurt, broke, broke his hip effectively. Um, and we had Shane Wager, who'd been club captain, um, club coach. So had some real senior players um, and Lee Harding and these guys. And we just decided 
that we need to move away from those players because we now need to create a new culture with our young people coming through that's going to be sustained success. These people were great players. Don't ever get me wrong. They were fantastic players for our footy club and they are great friends of mine. But at the time, I, the challenging bit is that I had to go and tell one of my best mates, Crawford, who was in my wedding, stood next to me in my wedding and say, mate, we're not going to offer you a contract effectively. Um, and, and I think it came, in hindsight, it, it came a bit of relief because he just broken his hip. We got him back for one last. He needed pretty much a hip replacement, all that type of stuff, which he ended up getting in. The beauty of it, the, the, the great moral of his whole story is we went on to win the premiership in 2014 at TSL level, but they went on to win the premiership at NTFA level with South Lonnie the same year. Oh, cool. So it's just, it's just a really nice. And I, as much as happy I was for us to win, I was so happy for them because they deserved success because they'd put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into North Lonnie Footy Club yep. um, over their time. And there'd been so much reliance on, especially Shane Wager, Lee Harding, Ty Stewart, to put so much effort into it. Um, and, and be the leaders and, and have to play well for North Lonnie to win, um, which I wanted us now to move past. And I think the best way, I thought the best way for us to move past and take that expectation off was to move on yep. and, and put some faith in our younger boys. Now, we still had older guys like Alan O'Sign stayed on, um, had a look at our list about where the depth is on our list. And so a few older guys did stay on. Um, obviously, Daniel Rusendale, Jeff Moore, these type of players were still around, but we just wanted to make sure that our list balance was really good. So those conversations were very tough. Yeah. Um, very, How very did they tough. go? Was there, was there any aggro, any animosity in them? Or did, uh, they, did they understand? Or No, no initially, uh, they're disappointed, 100%. Yeah. So I remember, um, look, yeah, Crawford was obviously um, super upset, um, naturally, as you would be. Um, Wage was, was, I think... Maybe a bit of relief for Wage, but still upset um, because it, they're given, like I said, they're given so much to the North Launceston Footy Club. And in a way, I wish you could give them the, the farewell game, but it doesn't work like that in in, in community footy as such because, yep. you know, people, you know, don't, unless they're retiring, these guys still wanted to play their footy. So um, it, was, yeah, it was tough. And and did I get whacked for it? 100% I got whacked from the external. Why did you get they're your best players and getting rid of them? Yep. 100% they were our best players. Yes, they were. Uh, but for the future of Fleet Club, we need to go in a little bit of a different direction. So, um, yeah, so it was tough, very tough at the time. And I'd sleepless nights, tossed and turned. Um, but it's something that we sort of need to do. And, um, yeah, it, it, it turned out for the best in the end. Like, uh, Croft's done at my house next week, which is nice before we go to Sam Wish Wilson's wedding. So, yep. over time, um, you know, we, we've we've obviously mended relationships and, and whatnot, but I think that just showed how strong our relationship was before I had those conversations. So yeah. even though they were hard, it was still it was easy to recover from because our relationship was so strong. And yeah. um, I've got no doubt next time I'd had have a conversation like that, there'd be other ways I'd do it. Um, I'd be able to do it differently, but you don't know until you're in that. And um, I feel really guilty for doing it still. It still eats away at me a little bit. And then I've ever told them this, but yeah, it was as it is still one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in footy. And um, 12 months ago, Darren Crawford was standing next to me at my wedding and then now I'm telling him there's not a not a, a job or a spot really type thing. So yeah, it, it, so so tough. And but like I said, I was so happy that we were able to win one in 14 and they were went on the win. Well, they went on to win a few as well. So yeah, yep. really happy for them. Excellent. And still great friends now, which is great. But um, yeah, tough at the time. Yeah. And obviously, like you said, in 2014, you, you went on to win the premiership. Did you did you expect that the turnaround would be so quick? Because obviously you had quite a few young blokes. No, so so as a footy club myself, Thane Brady, the president, 
our Aussie Aussie Tony Young um, Jr. as a list manager and Scotty Hawkins as a footy manager. We planned 215 to be our year. So we sort of, as a list management, okay, this is when our window will open. We didn't know if we'd win it in 215, but we thought, well, this is probably when we're going to be playing good, would be a chance, 215, 16, that sort of period, because by the age demographic of our list. So 214, um, we ended up adding, like, you know, so Big Ruser, these type of guys, obviously now are the real leaders of the footy club, although, like, see, Ruser was never captain um, of the footy club, but he was a, a real leader. But what do we wanted to make sure is because we were such a younger group that our younger guys felt like they could lead. So again, I got whacked for doing this, but Mitch Vandenberg at 19 was appointed senior captain. Um, and oh, did we cop some abuse from that? Like I still remember uh, 214 and I used this through preseason. The club got an email when they went sent out to renew memberships and one, one member wrote back um, he wrote back, he said, why the hell would I renew my membership when you've just got rid of the best players at our football club and you made a 19-year-old captain, dot, 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 dot. And I read this to the players in pre-season. So Thane shared it with me and I read it to the players in pre-season. It was our driving force. And I actually, Mad Monday, at the other end, Mad Monday of 214, I actually went as that person to Mad Monday, had his name <laughs> on my chest and dropped <laughs> up. And, oh, it's a great, one of the greats. It was nice to be able to do that and, and yep. actually be able to have a laugh about it. But, did he renew his membership yeah. the next year? Do you know? I don't know, actually. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't think we, I don't think we asked him back. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, so it was just nice to uh, – yeah, so, what, sorry, what we wanted to really try and do is get our younger guys to come along and lead. So um, so we still had Alan O'Sign, Jeff Moore, and Daniel Rosendale and, um, as as the senior, senior guys. But, I mean, they were still involved in the leadership group. But we, we made sure we started to include the, the um, Taylor Whitford's um, obviously, Mitchell Vandenberg, Ethan Pedalwoods, these younger guys that come through and learn, lead as well and, and give them. And they, that what they had, they had a really good connection with the younger guys already. So what we were asking, they were able to translate to the younger guys. And then the older guys could just lead, for example, and not necessarily have to do all the verbal stuff, which was really nice. So 214, um, which is amazing, amazing when you think about it. All our years we made the grand finals when I was coaching 14, 15, 16, we never finished on top of the ladder. We finished third every year. Yep. Um, which was more around, I think, just that we, we weren't necessarily the best team through the year. We just managed to know how to do it when it counted. And, yep. and again, came back to my learning from when I lost that first grand final at under-13s that you don't have to. Because South Lonnie, who beat us in under-13s, didn't finish on top. Longford yep. did, we did. Yep. But they still beat us. So actually, in my head, well, it doesn't matter where we finish. We What we wanted to make sure we do, we got ourselves a double chance. Um, and we actually both both fourteen and fifteen. When we won it, we went through different ways. And um, so one year we went straight through and won it, and then the next year we actually had to go a long way around to win it. And um, they're both unique stories in themselves, and very 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 uh, happy to experience them. And with one of those premierships, there's, there's a, another fellow that plays footy here on the coast. He's still playing at forty years of age by the name of Josh Holland. He's um he's going to come on and do a, a podcast at some stage. So obviously, I'll have Good. a chat to him about it as well. But you obviously talked him into coming and playing TSL footy at, at the ripe old age of 32 or 33 or something yeah. like that, I think, from memory. Can you just tell us just quickly how that came about? And I'm assuming it probably wasn't something that was a spur-of-the-moment thing for him. You would have had to work on him for a little while? Oh, yeah. I've been on him for ages, ever since I got the job in 212, I reckon. I've just been yep. touching base with him, just, hey, what are you doing? Come on. Because we obviously played together and um, had a really good connection with him all, all my, well, ever since I met him, really. We've always been close and had a great connection. And it was sort of... Um, just yeah, kept on to him, kept on to him, and I remember I felt like two fourteen. I nearly got him. Yep. I thought, oh, I nearly got him, and 
anyway, I rang him again in 2.15, just had a chat and said, well, mate, and he's like, yep, nah, it's time. I'm going to give it a crack. One crack. You got me. You got me for one crack. I'll, I'll give it a go. And I, so it took a bit of time because a young family as well with, with Taryn and that. So we sort of wanted to make sure that we, we had a set of values and that that you need to live at the footy club um, to play. Um, and that was really player-driven. It wasn't coach-driven by any means. I wanted yep. to give the players the ownership. Because that was something that was instated during your time. Yep, yep. I made some big calls on on our list on, like I said, at the end of two thirteen. But now I wanted the players to own then what 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 we accept now at this football club. Um, and then effectively, it wasn't up to me to to live and drive that. It was up to them. So if they weren't doing it, well, hey, hang on a minute, this is not on me. So as a coach, it took a lot to go. Well, hang on, I'm going to give a lot of ownership to the players. So um, we had a lot, we had a thing called the Sash Club at North Lonnie, um, hence that because we were played in the Sash. But yep. you had to be in that Sash Club to play senior football. And the players chose who was in that sash club, not me. So if you, if my best player wasn't in that, I couldn't pick him to play senior footy. So what would warrant someone to not be in the sash club? Would it be their behaviour outside of the game? Or yeah, so we had a core set of behaviours that every yep. player needed to live. So I, know, I remember in the two fifteen um, grand final on our banner we had praise P R A S E, and the commentators said, "Oh my God, they've gotten the eye out of praise." <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, but we knew we loved that because it wasn't us, and it, it, praise was an. Um, an acronym for the for words for professionalism, relationship, attitude, support, and effort. Yep. So, and under those key words were some key behaviours, and we wanted our players to live those. And they knew them. We 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 sacrificed time on the training track to make sure every player understood what was required as a behaviour on and off the field. So, professionalism, you know, recovery, all these different stuff, all different behaviours. So, we were trying to teach our players how to live as a professional, a semi-professional athlete, because some of them have been spud farmers out at Scottsdale. Dutchie's travelling up the highway, you know, an hour each each way. You know, we've got guys who are chippies working all, but how can they still be, make sure they're a professional athlete um, to manage their time or semi-professional athlete? So we wanted to make sure we teach, taught them behaviours and stuff around that. So Dutchie had to get into that. He had to make sure that he lived the behaviours and I explained all this to him. He said, no, nope, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to have a crack. And um, Chris Tarrant, when he came down in 2014, was exactly the same. He had to live those behaviours. Um, to be accepted into the SAS club. And we had players kicked out of the SAS club and they were in the leadership group. So wow. one okay. week I couldn't, I couldn't pick them. And that was tough, but it sent the message, hang on, the coach is listening to us. This is our team. It's not his team. It's our team. And I've just given the ownership of, you know, and, and it comes back to, you know, the time I spent under Dicko. That's, that's how you felt. You know, yep. we're, we're in this together. It's not just Dicko's team as the captain. We're in this together. Yep. Um, and so I wanted to make sure, I know how that made me feel as a young player going out to perform in a game of cricket. How could it only make a team of 22 go out to play a game of footy? Yeah. So long story short, mate, we got Dutchie over the line in 215 and um, we got some great, uh, we played a practice game against Devonport at East Devonport. And we had a couple of injured players in um, Jay Lockett, who obviously went on to play up Melbourne and, and whatnot. And they weren't playing, but they were sitting on the fence. And this is a great story. And I'm, I'm, I hope Dutchie will share this with you, but, they came to me at half, uh, in the end of the game, and said, so I just want to let you know, I said, oh, what's going on? What's wrong, mate? You're all right? They said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of guys. They were sitting down at the fence, and they were bagging Dutchie out. So oh, what were they saying, boy? Any chance you tell me? Oh, just out of his past. What's he doing? Waste his time going up there to play footy, and oh, that's a waste of time. Oh, you could be getting more money to go and play out here and do all that. I said, oh, thanks, mate. I shared that with Dutchie. And this was a pre-season game, and I've got no doubt that drove him for the rest of the year. Um, and they were Devonport players. So we were playing against these players. Um, and look at that, they were probably a bit filthy because he's travelling up to us rather than just travelling across the bridge to, to play there. But yep. um, 
yeah, that I got no doubt that drove him for the rest of the year, and um, well, we know what he did grand final day, so um, <laughs> he did, yeah. So really, really lucky, and, and again. We wanted to keep him in 16. There was no doubt about that, but we were realistic. It was a, it's a massive effort with two young kids um, and Tazzy's wife. To, to they, they sacrifice so much, and um, I know how much I have to sacrifice. My, my family have to sacrifice, and I lived in Launceston, so for him to travel and all that was um, was a massive, massive effort. And it, that, that was one thing that person said at that practice game. He, he probably he would have he could have got more money elsewhere, but. Um, he didn't want it. He wanted to challenge himself and, and prove these people wrong. And I spoke yeah. to him on the grand final day and I said, mate, this is your opportunity now to really prove. You, you, don't, you don't have to prove anything to me or yourself. We know. But there's a few people out there who still reckon you, you're not good enough and go and show them, mate. And yeah. Well, he won, the, he won the medal, didn't he? So, yeah. You won't get many arguments effort. now. No, no, that's right. <laughs> no, he's still uh, still winning medals at uh, I think thirty nine years of age. He's just ticked another one off. So yeah, he did, mate. He did did a great job. <laughs> Following yeah. round one will fall out of his back pocket, I reckon. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. just a couple of quick ones on your coaching, mate. Um, what kind yeah, of coach yeah, yeah. are you? Would you say? Uh, that's a good question. I, I I um I would say probably um my coaching style is around um player ownership. I like to give the players the ownership. Um. Definitely um, trust and um, I'll, I'll probably more, I like to build trust through vulnerability. So I don't mind sharing my weaknesses because that's who I am. Yep. Um, I, I, I struggled at school, but that's, hey, that's who I was. I, I'm not, not scared to shy away from that. It doesn't change the person I am. Yeah, it might have made learning harder for me or um, certain tasks harder, but I'm still Zane Littlejohn, the person, so, which I think I've got good morals. So vulnerability-based trust, really big on that. Um, I, I can be intense because I'm a, such a deep thinker. I can be quite intense and, and what, but I, I just got to keep reminding myself why I coach. And I coach because I love to teach people to do things or how to do certain things and see them achieve that. Yep. So more than winning, and, and Dutch is a, one, a prime example, that 215, like, I love giving him the support to achieve, to prove people wrong that he is good enough to play at that level and what he went and did. So um and I think he would argue, not argue, I think he would support me in saying, oh, I would argue that's probably, although he had to travel so much, one of his most enjoyable years of footy. Yes, we won the premiership, absolutely. But um, I would hope he felt super supported in that time um, to, one, play play the best footy he can and own his own career in that space. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that would probably be um, how I'd like to um, describe myself as a coach. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. No, that was the next thing I was going to ask you, like how coaching's changed. Like, you know, going back to the 70s and the 80s, it was more the, you know, roaring of blokes and the fire and brimstone type stuff. Have, have you sort of noticed now more, and especially even being in the AFL system, which we'll talk about in a second, that it's more about relationship building now and, and getting to know the players and, and finding out what makes them tick? Is there a lot of big emphasis on that in coaching now? 100%. That's a cornerstone of coaching for me. Um, players don't care what you know until they know you care. Right. Yep. That's a good say. So, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I know I live by that to this day. Um, I I said that to myself about fifteen times before my first session at Brisbane Lions because I'm walking in there with Dane Beams, Tom Rockcliffe, Steph Martin. I'm thinking, hang on, there's Premiership players, all Australians. How do I tell them? But they they didn't care what I knew. They just wanted to know that I cared about them. And it's the same thing at, at North Lonny. I, I just I made a conscious effort in in making sure that I was involved in involved with my players in situations so you know coaches will say oh they can't be seen this and, and it's probably a little bit different at this level but at AFL level but at, at community level I made sure I spent time and had a beer with the boys 
not to Yahoo and who ha but no, he's human. Yeah. He does have a beer. It's okay. You know, like it's it's actually still okay to to have that outside of footy and, and enjoy a beer and, and do all that. So um I wanted to make sure that some of my players were invited to my wedding, not necessarily just to come to the wedding, but to see, oh hang on, he's normally he's getting married, you know, he cries at his wedding, you know, he does all that like Yep. You know, all that type of stuff. So I had like Mitch Vandenberg, Stephen Heppel, these guys, they didn't come as part of the wedding. Like they weren't invited to the, the reception. I come to the ceremony by all means, please. Um, and just so they could see me as a human. Yep. Um, so I, th- I think, yeah, I think naturally that's, that's definitely where it's changed now. Like um, I listened to Fag speak yesterday at a leadership, at a um, coaching course and he spoke on leadership and he said, I'm not a tactical coach, not at all. I'm not the best tactical coach in, in the AFL. But what I do pride myself on is my ability to have great relationships with my players and understand them. And yeah. that's 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 the fundamental part of coaching now is trust and relationships. Yeah. If you don't yeah. have trust, you might as well not worry about it. And with such big lists though, like how much time is actually involved in that? Like do you have to like contact them all like weekly or do you have like a structure that you go through with them? Or how, how do you sort of how do you structure that? So at Clubland, when I was at North Lonnie, I had a, and this is the other thing. So, cause you know how I mentioned that I was quite intense at times. Yep. So, and that's feedback I'd got given from players because we yep. did a um, keep, start, stop. So keep doing, stop doing, start doing. Yep. Um, some of the feedback I got is, oh, you're on all the time. When we're at training, we don't know when we can muck around or what, what. So we ha- I had a thing where if I had my hat on backwards or didn't have a hat on at all, it was a joke. I was fine. Zane's happy to have a laugh and, you know, you know, can, uh, whatever in the change rooms doesn't yep. matter. But when I had my hat on front, she's on. Time to train, time to switch on, and away we go. So the boys, it just gave them a cue, and it was a reminder for me as well. Hang on, my hat's not on. Hang on, I'm allowed to have a bit of fun here. Like it's, it's, so it allowed me just to mellow out and come down to their level because yeah. um, sometimes you forget you're in the heat of the moment as a coach and, and whatnot. And, and then, yeah, so that was that was the thing. And then at, at AFL level, um, it's a little bit different because you're seeing the players pretty much every day because they're full-time athletes. So... Um, Faze is fantastic. He catches up with the players one-on-one three, at least three times, sometimes four times a year yep. and that at his house. So he invites them into his environment, not just yeah. in his office. Yep. There's other opportunities in the office, like his door's never closed unless he's yep. on a phone call. But I could walk in there on Monday, hey, sit on his, sit on his couch and won't leave for an hour. Well, you just talk um, and whatnot. So, and, and where his office is, it's glass, it's, you know, players have got to walk past it. So um, there's every opportunity for that. Um, and then we have, we have little pride groups at the lines as well, where players can are attached to attached to a coach and a staff member. Um, and it is about, what is there? It's about uh, eight, six to eight in one of those groups. Yep. And that's pure non-football related. So I, I'm a coach in that group, but I'm not there to coach those players. I'm there to know them holistically outside. So we go out for dinner, buy them around for dinner as a smaller group, yep. um, just, to, just to be a different sounding point for them rather than just, the coach or the coaches it's a different yeah. different sort of um point of view so um yeah. just um the last one just on your time at north line so obviously when you were coaching there there were a couple of players that went on to play afl level yeah um like the couple that i've listed you toby nancurvis jay lockhart who you mentioned there before and um taron thomas could you tell early on that these guys were a chance at at making it at the highest level is there something that you can identify there that you think they're going to be a chance yeah so Credit with Tobes. Um, so that tough one with Tobes was because we had Ruzo come to the club that same year. And what our selling point was a Ruzo obviously to play on the ruck. But then, hang on, we've got Toby Nankervis, who's now a draft prospect. Yep. 
So we have to really balance that. That And again, that's great learning for a young coach. You have to really balance, you know, give Toby some time in the ruck and she hang on, no, Ruse, you're going to start forward this week because we want to start Toby in the ruck. Well, yeah. no, but no, mate, it's for the benefit. Of, and it's not necessarily for the benefit of the team. It's more to help get Toby drafted. Yeah. But a lot of credit to Adam Sanders for getting Toby drafted. I, absolutely, I played a, a small role, but um, Adam Sanders in the Mariners at that stage, which Toby was playing as an overage, I did a lot of work with him and got him there. Um, with Taron, um, he was he was always naturally gifted. He was the one that I, a bit like Grant Virtue, who I played a bit of footy with as a young kid growing up, the higher the level just seemed to get better. Yep. And it, was, it wasn't going to stop. I don't know when it'll stop. It just keeps getting better and better. The only thing that's going to stop them is themselves type thing. Yeah. Um, Jay, Jay was a funny one. Jay was for me, um, I saw a lot more in Jay as a person than a footballer. Um, he's a phenomenal, a phenomenal leader amongst people. Like he, he's such a genuine man that um, I've got um, the utmost respect for how he went about going and getting on an AFL list. Yep. And I know a lot of people are doing it and a lot of people won't do it because they don't, they're too scared to do it. But we used to, we used to, Jay and I used to consistently talk about, oh, this player's getting spoken about in Tassie footy. Oh, they, they should be drafted. They should be drafted. And he'd ask me, why aren't they getting drafted? And I said, well, mate, because they're not really testing themselves. No disrespect to Tassie footy against the best. So that's, that's when he obviously made his decision after playing under Couchy and that to go over and have a crack at Casey and obviously get himself drafted. But, um, yeah, I probably never. I always thought Jay had the skills and the attributes to play after a footy, but never, never really knew if he'd get there. But yeah, um, I was super stoked when he did. I was one of the happiest, happiest people in the world. I reckon I rang him straight away. Actually, my recruiting, our, our head recruiter at at the Lions rang me and said, "Oh, you know, Jay's about to be picked up." And I said, "No." So I'm off the bang on the phone, mate. What's that? Yeah. Unbelievable, and he played that week. And what? Like, wow! And yeah, I was like, oh, we we played the same day, so because I would have travelled down there and watched him play, but wow. um, yep. I couldn't get, couldn't get down there obviously because we played the same day, which was a bit of a bummer, but great, great for him. So, um, yep. Taron was one I thought would always. Um, he had some great mentors along his time, so he's pretty level headed. Taz growing up, um, Nank was Nank was um big and aggressive and which is sometimes hard to find in our big men. Um, and that's no doubt why he's made a great career of it. Yeah. Um, Cause he's, uh, he's undersized as a ruck, but he's big yeah. and he's aggressive in that. So um, that always held him in good stead. And then Jay was just naturally talented player. Yep. But I, I didn't know how bad he really wanted it to be honest. And then um, we had a few chats and I thought, yeah, shit he does. And then when he made the move, that showed me that he was genuinely keen. Yeah. Um, just you, you touched on it there before. Though. Is there extra pressure on you as a coach if you've got a guy playing under underneath you that looks like he might make AFL? Do you sort of feel pressure to to play them in certain positions or develop them, or is it more up to the player? You can only put them out there. Yeah, I'm a big believer the player will get themselves drafted. We'll, we will provide as coaches the resources and the tools to help, but it's the player who gets themselves drafted. So. Yep. Um, so it comes back to dedication, application, all that type of stuff to to want it. Um, so, yeah, not not I never felt any pressure at all because um, my job wasn't to coach a player; it yep. was to coach a team. Yeah. But within that team, obviously, to try and allow each individual to succeed and feel yep. like they're playing a, a valuable role. So that's why, again, we managed um, early days, managed next time in the ruck and as a forward because we knew well as it and he ended up going to City and playing more as a forward originally, and then spent some time in the ruck and now he's at Richmond. He's more of a ruck than going forward. So, yep. um, and then Jay, Jay's the same. We play him as a half back. Then he goes to Casey, plays a bit more midfield, and plays his first year at Melbourne as a forward. Like, 
that, that flesh and Taz could play anywhere, so it didn't really matter. But yeah, um, yeah, just that flexibility to have have young men um, want to just want to be a part of a team because I still think character is such a vital role of making it as an athlete footballer. So if you can teach them character that hey, this is my responsibility is to play off half back today for the team and learn to play that role really well anyway, well, it's going to hold them in good stead if they do get drafted. And um, I've got no doubt when we're, well, I'm pretty confident when recruiters are looking at drafting a player, they're asking about their character and what sort of person they're like, mm. whether because they're not going to invite or draft a dickhead into their club as such. So mm. they want good people. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of highly talented footballers playing in the country, isn't there, that probably could be playing at a higher level, but it's more of an attitude thing, isn't it? 100%, mate. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Appointed uh, development coach at the Lions. Was that about 2016? Is that right? End of 2016, mate. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so was that always a dream for you? Like, you, obviously, coaching was a path you wanted to go down. So AFL was was always on the radar? Like, it was something you were trying to work towards? Yeah, the original plan, mate, for me was just to work footy full-time. So if North Launceston had offered me a, full, a full-time position, I probably would have just gone, yep, bang, I'll take that. Yep. Um, I just wanted to work footy full-time. So... Um, I would have coached the Mariners. I would have done anything really. That was my goal and my passion because, again, I love my teaching. Um, yeah. And I was working at Brooks High School at the time and absolutely loving that job. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, working at, the, working at the footy club one day a week. But I really wanted to marry the two together and teach football effectively yeah. full time. So um, I was lucky enough to, um, again, it's more about the people you know, know a few people um, who who had connections at the AFL Coaches Association. And it was actually, um, it was actually in the end of two, end of 2015. Um, no, sorry, end of, end of 2014, I sent my resume to the Coaches Association and said, oh, through Ozzy Young at the footy club, his brother Gonzo was a great friend with the one of the um, reps at the Coaches Association. And he said, yep, send it over. So I sent it over and he just got some feedback on it. And he, he sent to me... Um, sort of the expectations that um, the AFL Coach Association recommend for club co- coaches that, to make the AFL. So it was coach your own team, have a degree and and be in some form of a leadership or managerial role. So, yeah. okay, I've got a degree in my teaching. I've coached my own team, my managerial role. I was managing the head of um, HPE at, at City Campus where I was teaching in my first four or five years. Um, and then I moved to Brick, uh, Brooks High. Anyway, long story short was end of 2015, I just signed the week before with North Launceston and got a phone call from the Essendon Footy Club. And they said, oh, Zane, we're interested, mate. Would you be interested in coming over and um, we've got a development role? And I thought, oh, shit, yes, I'm a Bombers fan. This is unbelievable. Matty Egan (laughs) um, was the head of development at the time. And anyway, I actually, the same phone call, I said, look, Morally, for me, it doesn't feel right. I've just signed with North Lonnie. I've got a job I think I need to finish here before I move on. And that was probably, in hindsight, the best decision I made. He said to me, wow. He goes, we don't have many people say no in AFL. And for you, you're not saying no, but for you to be a man of your word, that holds a lot of credit for me. And I still talk to Matty Egan now. He's now just signed at at Geelong. But he's he's been a great mentor for me. He's always on the phone for me if I want to have a chat. yeah, so that was um, that was fantastic. And he said to me, "Oh, mate, would you? Well, okay, that's fine. Would you like to come over to the club and spend a week at the footy club?" I said, "Oh, Essen, yeah, but yeah." So a bit of PD, off I go. 
And anyway, it just so happened to be right when the drug saga happened. Oh, right. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, no, am I going to go? Am I gonna... And he rang me and said, no, you're coming, mate. I don't care. Nothing's changing. We're going to keep our schedule the same as possible. So I went over and spent a week at Essendon. And that's when I thought, yeah, I could do this full time. Oh, yep. Yeah, this would be good. This would be really fun. Teaching footy, you know, coaching footy, all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, and I thought, oh, maybe I've missed my opportunity now, though, but that's okay. I'll do my time and just coach North Lonnie. I'd signed a two year contract. So I knew I had 16, 17 at North Lonnie. Um, and Dane always said, look, give opportunities to hire yourself and go further. By all means, you've got our full blessing. Um, yeah, so um, anyway, I, I, at the time, I've got a, a Craig Hutchinson's the guy's name who worked at the Coach Association. He said, oh, look, I've just given your resume to Brisbane and St Kilda. No, thinking nothing of it. Oh, thanks, mate. This was the star, sort of mid-2016. I thought, nothing of it. And anyway, I'm sitting in my office at Brooks High. My phone rings. I don't know his number. And normally I don't like answering numbers I don't know. And I'll, say, oh, I'll leave me a message if it's important, that old one. But I thought I'll answer this out of the blue. Hello, Zane Liljohn speaking. Hi, Zane. It's Justin Leppage from the Brisbane Lions. Oh, yeah, hi, how are you going? <laughs> mate, um, up. Yeah, right. uh, Would you, uh, mate, we're just um, interested in having a chat to you. We've got a development role opening up. Interested in having a chat to you about it, whether you'd be interested. So, oh, mate, absolutely love to have a chat. Um, super interested. Um, and because this was mid-year, so I had a bit of a chance to, if I was going to move on, prepare the footy club for what was after. Um, so anyway, that was good. Um, and he said, all right, well, I'll get, I'll, we'll get our footy manager to give you a buzz and organise a time. And I thought, yeah, cool, just over the phone. And he ran me back and he said, all right, so when do you want to fly up? I said, oh, fly, oh, right, yeah. So anyway, we organised to jump on the plane. So it was about, uh, I think we played Lonnie. We played Lonnie at Windsor Park on the Saturday. I drove straight to the airport that night with Kat and Boyd. Yeah, so drove to the airport, jumped on the plane, and I sort of didn't tell the club. I was like, oh, do I tell North Lonnie this is what's going on? No, no, because nothing might come of it. Let's just leave it for now. Anyway, so I got over there, um, sat, um, they put us up in a hotel, which was really nice. And then it was on the Monday I had the interview. And because I worked at the club on a Monday, I'm like, shit, what do I tell the club? Why not in it? Why don't, why don't it work? Anyway, I don't, I can't remember what I told them, but I wasn't in at work that day. And, Got off the plane, went and had my interview, had this present. I said, oh, what do you want prepared? And I said, I'll just prepare um, a skill that you would teach and how you teach it. Oh, perfect. This is my one. This is, this is me. So I went through kicking, how I teach kicking and, and what, I, what I do, some drills I do around it. Got in there in the boardroom. You've got all the premiership cups in. Justin Leppich <laughs> walks in. Wow. Yep. Um, and the HR and then the footy manager. Anyway. Got my computer out. Oh, that's no, all right. Just let's just have a chat. So we had a bit of a chat, and anyway, now our passes. I don't show my presentation. No presentation. Just had a chat. Thanks, same for your time. Blah blah. I thought, oh, okay, that's okay then, right? Yeah. Out I went, and I said, oh, the next process is we'll be in contact with you um, if we want to offer your position, um, and we'll go from there. I said, no worries. Or if we don't want to offer your position, we'll just let you know as well. I said, cool. Anyway, jump on the plane, drive straight to the airport to drive home, jump off the plane, and turn my phone on, email. Job offer, Brisbane Lions. I've gone, Kat, you won't believe this. <laughs> Just, they've offered me a job already. I said, what? So I was in the air when they offered me this job and I had three days to make the decision. So they sort of make it pretty pretty punchy. So I yep. went straight to the footy club, spoke to the footy club and sort of said, look, what uh, this is um, what's happened. They've offered me this. I'm pretty excited to accept it. And they were they were nothing but supportive and um I wouldn't be, I've said this to a number of people. I've said this publicly a number of times. I wouldn't be where I am today without that football club and the people there. So um, yeah. yeah, that's sort of how, how it all happened. So. And what was your role initially? What was the, the job? Yeah, so I was just a, 
development coach. So um, I was development coach for our Fords. Um, yep. So what that effectively meant was a skill development coach. So I work, work across the whole list with skill development. So there was, th- there was um, four development coaches. One, one of the coaches was the head of development. So he managed the whole development department. Then we had a NEFL coach who coached our reserves. Yep. Then we had two other development coaches, myself and another guy, Paul Henriksen. And we would coach, um, yeah, we were skill development coaches. So our responsibility was really to help manage the skill development of our group, where the, the line coaches were more the tactical side. That helped with the skills, absolutely, but more of the tactical, because they've got to get ready match day to prepare tactically. This is what opposition doing. This is what we need you to do um, and whatnot, and work closely with Fags, where we, our, our responsibility was more around, okay, this is what you, the skills you need to be able to execute to play at AFL level consistently. Yep. Not just execute it once, but they need to be able to do it consistently. So we're working across the whole list. So not just the younger players. We ran a younger, uh, we call it Growing the Lines program. So we we, we ran a younger uh, program, which was part of my portfolio. So um, one to four year curriculum where, um, okay, what's important for a first year to know that they, wouldn't, that they wouldn't know in their second, third or fourth. So then, yep, what's important for a second year to know that they wouldn't know in their third or fourth and vice versa. So we, we'd run mini classroom sessions for them in... Um, in a classroom effectively on those particular topics. So that was part of my role. So I, I managed that curriculum, which is really nice, tied in really nicely with my teaching background. Um, and then Paul Henriksen, he ran more of a touch program. Uh, he's also a teacher. And then Scotty Borlace was the head of development. So I just oversaw it all and managed us through it. Um, so that was, that was sort of my role. And then match day, I coached, I'd been assistant coach in our reserve side. So I'd coach our, um, I coached our forwards in my first two years yep. and then went into the, went into the midfield in my next two years, yep. um, which was good. Cause that gave, that scratched the itch coaching itch. Yep. Um, and we, we won the premiership in my first year in 17 and then won it again in 19, which was great. So yep. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You, you talk about there before that great advice that Digo gave you about don't let um, nerves, um, don't confuse nerves with excitement. What was, how did you feel your first day walking into the club? Obviously bumping shoulders with some of these people that you've watched on telly. Yeah. Was it nerves or was it excitement? Uh, excitement probably. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. If, I, if I'm missing the Dicko's advice and not getting, don't get in a mixed up, but I was excited because yep. I, was, I was confident. I was actually probably too confident in the fact that I, I knew footy. Yeah. But um, I, I was excited to, you know, this is what I wanted to do. I, you know, I'm, I've made a small step into the, into the direction I'd like to go. Um, but then, then when, then when I actually get to training um, and I get a lift with the head of development, Scotty Ball, they picked me up from, I was living at Breeze at the time, um, yep. which was lucky, worked out really nicely and um, got a lift training. And he sort of just talked me through it and, and what was expected. And my first session anyway, was really nice to, um, I was just a coach observer. So I was just to sit back and watch, which was good. Um, but then Faye sort of got me up in front of the group and introduced me to everyone. Hey, this is Zane, Tasmanian. Um, and then he sort of got hope. And this has been Bolts is just starting to really come through as a coach. Hopefully he's the next Brendan Bolton. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be that good, Faye. <laughs> no pressure. Up. Yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, and then it just, like I said, I just wanted to make sure that they, that players knew I cared about them. And then I, I, I built a really nice connection with Dane Beams and, um, he he was obviously the captain of the footy club, and he sort of just sent me a message one night after um, a team meeting, which I spoke up in, just about a, a certain tactic in the team meeting. He said he sent me a message, he said, mate, you know when you speak up, we listen. I thought, oh, that's good to hear from the captain of the footy club. Like, yeah, that's nice, and just gave me a bit of confidence from that point on that hey, maybe they know I care now, and I can start to be a bit more that that direction, which was really nice. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And part of your role now, you're also the head coach of the Lions Academy. Is that right? 
Yeah. Yep. So this year's my new. Um, I'm stepping into head coach of the academy. Which, um, again, if I if I look at where I want to get to and where I've been, it's 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 um, I've I've gone off the highway. I've got up a slipstream now and um, and whatnot. So, but I look at it as an opportunity to continue to grow and um, continue to do this job as well as I can, um, yep. and ideally set me back onto the highway is where I need to go. And that sort of all come around when the soft cap got changed, unfortunately, through COVID. We sort of had to shift a few people around. So last year, I stepped into the head of development of our academy um, and AFL runner. And then um, this year, I'm just going to step in and, and do the head coaching role of the academy, which we play against um, the other academies, Gold Coast, GWS, Sydney. And we'll go down to Melbourne and play a few teams in the in the NAB League as well, which would be yep. really exciting. Um, you just you just touched on COVID. Obviously, that did throw things into turmoil a little bit. You went back to teaching for a few weeks there, didn't you? Is that that's correct? It is, mate. So when when we got um, stood down, uh, we got stood down for oh, six to seven weeks through the um, through that period when there was no AFL footy on, and we had um, we had one pay, so we sort of worked a fortnight. So we had one pay to come, and then. Um, Job seeker came out and or the keeper or whatever job seeker it was at the time. So I thought yeah. oh, I'll get that. And my wife, she was fantastic. She went and got a job straight away with the government, just in a call center. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I can't keep doing this and just not doing anything as such. Um, which was nice. I got to spend a, a lot more time with the kids, which was beautiful. But um, I thought, well, I'll, I'll try and get some relief teaching. And I thought, oh, long shot. So any school holidays had just finished it. So I had that fortnight pay, which was fantastic. And the school holidays had just finished, but I got it all all through school holidays, pushed got all my um, teaching registration, which I was already registered, but got all that pushed through, my application and all that. Anyway, it's the Sunday night before school was supposed to go back for term three. And I got a phone call. I was out walking the dog and got a phone call. And said, oh, Zane, I actually missed it first. Got again, a number I didn't know. And I left a message. Oh. And then they called me back straight away. So I answered this time. And I got, oh, hi, oh, Zane, would you be just interested, if you're interested in a, a day's work tomorrow for term one of uh, day one? Of school, absolutely. Yep, yep. no worries, coming. Oh, it'll just be supervision. Oh, no worries. I'm just watching kids. That's yeah, no worries. I'm having a bit of a chat. And anyway, went in and and did that. And anyway, came recess. Yep, no worries. And then that's after recess, the AP assistant principal walked down and said, Oh, any chance you wouldn't mind five weeks' work? I said, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. And so anyway, I rang David Noble and I said, No, look, I've just been offered this work for five weeks, how's that going to look? He's mate, that's unreal. Take it, do it. Took it and literally uh, then the AFL released a return date and all that and it w- was to a T. Yep. So it was supposed to be again, like it just fell in my lap. I was very lucky and just again, comes back to that conversations I had on the phone with mum about, oh, should I finish my uni degree or just move on? I'm bloody lucky I did because now I had that to fall back onto yep. in that period of time, which, um, yeah, was was amazing. Funny how things work out, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it was good fun. It it scratched the itch of teaching, getting back in the classroom. And um, the school let me run some PE classes on a Wednesday, Arvo, when they had their sports and and all that. And it was literally two minutes around it. Like I could walk there. I drove there still, but I could actually walk there. It was that close. It was amazing. Like Out of all the schools I would possibly go and teach at, I got the school closest to home. And they let me finish sort of at 2.40 so I could pick my son up from school at 3. It was just like, oh, Unreal. So yeah, very lucky. Good, good, good people to work with. So yeah, it's nice. Good. Um, you talk about your son and just talking about COVID. Um, I read a story somewhere that he thought you were all going to die or something through COVID. Is that? Am I reading that correctly? He was really stressed that's, out about it. Is that right? Yeah, very stressed actually. So yep. I picked him up from school when we'd just been stood down, and my wife had been stood down as well. And 
Um, I said, oh, 40. I just have to let you know. Like, so what is he? He would have been, no, he would have been, she's like, yeah, either just turning six or five, turning eight. Anyway, um, long story is, I said, oh, daddy's not working at the lines for a, for a while. He goes, oh, why? And I said, oh, mate, well, there's no work and there's no AFL, so daddy doesn't have a job. And he goes, oh, we're going to die. I said, oh, mate, it's not that bad. We won't die. Um, we'll find ways. And that's, I said, that's what it's all about, buddy, is a family. We'll find ways to support and get through and um, there'll be avenues. And, well, we, we, we were always pretty comfortable in regards to, we think we'd get through. There'd be, we find ways. We, we just didn't want to have to tip into the savings and touch all that stuff. But we sort of found, thought, well, we'll always find a way through. But um, obviously at that age, they think, well, dad's job's gone. What, what do we do? Like he, yeah. he helps you know, get dinner on the table, that type of stuff. So, um, but then I think if he quickly forgot about it when he realized I was home 24 <laughs> seven, <laughs> he enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was really <laughs> nice. So, awesome. Yeah. So you talk about um, your journey and where you want to go and you're in a slipstream now. So you still have aspirations of being a senior AFL coach. Is that the, is that the goal that you're working towards or? hundred percent. Yeah. And, yep. and I'm open and honest about that. And I'm a long way from it. I'm a long, long, long way from it. And yep. um, if anything, Fags has probably given me hope that, you know, I, I can get there. Um, he got there at 55. So I'm 20 years away from that. So, <laughs> You've got plenty of time up uh, your sleeve. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. And, and, and cause I'm such a deep thinker, I'm in such a hurry and Brendan Bolton, um, who's a great mentor of mine as well, who I, who I regularly speak to. Um, he said, mate, all you've got to focus on is make sure you're ready when the time comes, but how you be ready is just focus on what you're doing now and do it as best you can. Yep. So my mindset originally, when I got shifted into the academy is, Oh, why me? Oh, poor me. Like what? This is not fair. But then I had to sit back and go, well, hang on. I can have that attitude and I won't do the job anywhere well. And eventually it'll just die off and I'll be gone. Or I can do a bloody good job of this and make it the best development program in the, in the academy that they've ever seen. And things will come from that. So now I've stepped into the head coach role. Yep. If I do this as well as I can and focus on doing this as well, I'm confident in my coaching ability, but it's the other areas of managing you know, different staff across the whole state now in, in Queensland and do that really well. Well, who knows where this could lead to. And, um, and I, I ugly have it tougher because I haven't played AFL fully. I don't have oh, 200 games experience where I've been out in the MCG and a pressure cooker. I haven't, I haven't got that experience. And so I need to make sure that I'm harnessing and growing from all the other experiences that I do have and I am getting along the way. And yeah. that is, you've been kicked to the side curb now. So you're going up this way, not, Oh yeah, here you go. Away you go. Yeah. You, you you played 200 games. Go for it. You can coach now. That type of stuff. So, um, I've been um, very lucky to have Fags as a mentor in that space. In the, in regards to, I didn't get here to 55, and um, all the jobs that he's had at footy clubs has helped him to where he's got to now. Yeah. I just keep telling myself that. Yeah. Yeah. I just keep telling myself that, and I may never get to a senior coach, but I'm allowed to have that goal and that dream yep. and that ambition. But I'll do everything I can to get there. So when I decide to pull the pin on coaching it's not because i didn't try to get there where i wanted to get to as well sometimes you're just not good enough and you got to wear that and um or it might be because i'm not good enough it might just be the opportunity wasn't there when it was supposed to be mm. or when it could have been so yeah yeah but again though going back from, from, to that advice from your mum though you're going to shoot for the stars and you know you're going to end up the best Absolutely. version of yourself either way aren't you 100 100 yeah. and and the thing is one thing I, i've started to really focus on over the last sort of 12 months since i got shifted is I'm, I'm Zane Littlejohn, the person. I'm not Zane Littlejohn, the football coach. Yeah. 
yes, I'm a footy coach and I coach football, but that's not who I am. That's a part of me. So I, I don't want, I want to, you know, when, when my time comes and I head to heaven and at a funeral, I don't want people to go, oh, Zane, and just talk all about coaching. I want them to talk about me as a person and who I was as a person and um, that type of stuff as well. So I've tried to really change and shift my mindset in that space in that coaching is a skill that I have and something that I, I love doing, but it's not who I am. I'm, I'm Zane Lilge, I'm the person who loves to have a beer and um, have a chat with his mates and loves to go and play a game of golf and, and do all those things. That's I'm a dad. You know, I've got two beautiful young children and a wife and I'm their dad. So they, they can... I've been in a coaching course all day today, but I came home and they asked me a coaching course. Hey, Daddy, what's going on? Like, they're not worried about that. They, they just want Dad. Yeah, dad. Um, so, yeah, and that, that's me. And I, I think um, I wasn't like that. I wanted to be – I want to be the best coach I am. But if, like I say, if I don't become a senior coach, it's not a fail. It's not uh, you, failed, you failed what you set out to do. It's actually, well, no, I was just – I didn't get to that bit where I wanted to get to, but I worked my backside off to try and get there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you've touched on it there before, but obviously there's a few Tassie boys and a bit of a Tassie connection up at Brisbane. I know one less with, with David Noble going, but do you sort of get around each other? Is there a bit of a affinity there with the other Tassie boys or are they all just part of the club? Or Yeah, no, no, we joke. And it, it's amazing, Tasmania. Just, it's almost like um, when you meet someone up here in Queensland, oh, yeah, I'm from Tasmania, bang, connection automatically done. You know, and that bit's broken down, away you go. So yep. um, it's just... <laughs> It's just so so easy. Like um, you know someone. If like we know like Fags and I know someone the same. Like yeah. and it was amazing. We had a camping in um, in Hobart and we went back and um, Fags's old man and mum were there watching training. And um, anyway, my dad came down as well and dad was there watching training. And anyway, I walked over and Fags is over there with his mum and my dad's over there. Oh, what's going on here? I walk over and anyway, Fags's old man and my pa, my dad's dad knew each other, new family. And oh, wow. Like this is just, that's Tasmania for you. Like, <laughs> She's it's a small place. Like, oh yeah, he played cricket here. And oh yeah, Queen. Well, wow. Like just yep. such a, and that's the beauty of Tassie, I think. And I think um, that's why, oh, dare I say, when we, when and hope the AFL team does open up and, and happen, I think it'll be a great, a great thing because there'd be so many people will be so happy to see it. And I've got no doubt so many people will jump on and support it. Yeah. That'd be something yeah. you'd be interested in getting involved in if it if it bobbed up and the opportunity came up. In a heartbeat, yeah, yeah, in a heartbeat, yeah, I'd love to um, give back to the state that helped me get to where I got to. So, yeah. um, but you know, there might be other people better than me at the time, and they deserve it just as much. So I'll just, you know, if I do my job as well as I can, and that opportunity arises, well, and that might be why I've shifted this way. So yeah. I'm ready for when that does arise. Who knows? So, yeah, um, yeah, see what happens. Hopefully, yeah. excellent. Um, obviously, you've, 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 you're pretty up and up close with a lot of superstar players and ones that are the elite. Like I asked, um, I spoke to Ryan Gardner as well, and I just asked him, what what do you think sets the elite apart from the the run of the mill? I know, you know, we talked about attitude and a lot of kid um, guys running around the country with with um, all the talent, but probably didn't quite make it. Is there something that you can pinpoint that the the greats actually do different than than the rest of the the pack? Uh thing i reckon the beauty with the best um best players and although um they're, they're all very different and, and there's no doubt they've got talent the thing that stands out for me and I'll, I'll use hodgie and he won't mind me mentioning him in this example is the fact that he understood 
what he was good at and what he wasn't good at and then surround himself with the people to help him with the things he's not good at. But then he would get used around the people who weren't good at the things Hodgie was good at. So very good at surrounding themselves with the people to help them get better. Yeah. Um, Lockie Neal, fantastic at um, understanding the area of the game that he needs to be really, really good at to be the best. So the year he won the Brownlow, oh, Christ, I, I, I lost count how many. I reckon I was the second cleanest player in Australia that year for the amount of balls I'd rolled Lockie. Like, it's just countless, yep. countless amounts of footage just rolled, kicked into his hands, all of that stuff because he knew he's not the biggest midfielder and he's not the quickest midfielder, but he knew he could be the cleanest midfielder and he just knew that and he was just driven to make sure that was the case. Yep. Hugh McClay is a great example now. Like, He's a young kid who just knows what he needs to do. Um, and he is only young. He's played 100 AFL games, but he's only young. But he understands what he needs to do to be the best for what he needs to do and the role he needs to do for our footy club. Harris Andrews is the same. Um, a guy who goes completely under the radar and is um, one of my favourite players in the AFL. You shouldn't have favourites, but he's Oscar McInerney. Like, um, he may never be the best big man in the comp, but he will never go to sleep not having tried to be the best. Yep. So he'll 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 do everything he can to be the absolute best he can yep. every day, every single day, not just on match day, every single day. So I think Zorks uh, put a uh, there was an article on the on the old website about Oscar hasn't missed a day in the gym since we left. Like he just will not leave any stone unturned. That guy and yep. um, almost you nearly need to pull him back at times because he's his own worst enemy. So. When you talk about the best of the best, I think they have a real good um, self uh, self dialogue scale where they sort of know I need to be really good here. Yep. And I need to work my backside at this, but I'm not so good at this, so I need to get these people to help me. Yep. So they're not so trying to do like, everything. No, nah, no, nah, spot on. They just want to be a leader in a particular area. And that, what they're finding, your game will grow around that. So um, I know Lockie used the resources of Diesel Williams because Diesel won a great. So he goes, he goes, I've got to do this all by myself. Yep. He goes and uses resources around that, and then, um, yeah, yeah. So that, that I find obviously attitude, um, dedication, application are, are two or three really, really big things. But um, yeah, the hard work's massive too. To know where yep. you've got to fit and what you need to do. Yeah, yep. excellent. Yeah. Now I'm just going to shift gears with you for a second, mate. Like you, yeah, you're yeah. an avid, you're an avid listener of the of the podcast, so you'll probably yep. know that. Being a small community in Tasmania, everyone knows everyone. And when I get someone on the podcast, I tr- do try to keep it a secret, but inevitably sometimes it leaks out who's coming on. So all these little stories seem to start floating into me. So ah. Some that I probably can't mention, but there's a couple <laughs> that come on here that I need clarification. So okay, tell us about the nickname Wombat. How'd that come about? Yep. Yeah. So that one's a Barry Gavey one, mate. Actually, so, well, no, it's probably the old... Um... Advocate newspaper, I've probably got the thing for that one because yep. I remember, oh, I don't know the game, but I was playing for La Trobe um, and I rocked into the office on Monday and there's an article in the, you know, they used to report on the footy as they no doubt still do. And I'm not, I can't even remember who wrote the article, but there's an article in the paper, just, you know, wrap of the week um, in Turfville and little John burrowed into the packs all day. Yeah. And then Baz, oh, look, a wombat. Yeah, you big ass like a wombat. So that's sort of how it came. And anyway, because Crawford was in the office, so grabbed hold of it and Wombat just came about from there. So ever since then, from, from Barry Gavey and Crawford and Nick Probert and all that, I've just always got Wombat. So, yep. um, just stuck. Just stuck, yeah. Yep. Yeah, which is funny. And 
some things that sometimes they do stick and that one did. So, yeah. Yeah. So you talked about going to the, the Brownlow. Um, you obviously yep. fancy yourself in a suit because did you win fashions on the field at the old Devonport Cup many years ago? Oh, I did. I probably should have won it more than once, though, <laughs> um, to be honest. Modest. I, yeah, yeah. It was... Um, uh, I can't even remember the clothing store I shopped at. Um, anyway, nice brown suit. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I was playing... Yeah, anyway, brown suit, uh, watermelon shirt and a nice tie they got with it but i didn't have any shoes and yeah. the day of the cup i've gone i've got no shoes to wear with his suit like brown suit i can't just wear black shoes or i'm not going to wear white shoes it doesn't go with the flow so anyway i went into the op shop in devonport two things i, I went in to find some shoes and then i had these old shoes old old shoes so yep i'll buy them up and they they went perfectly with the suit but i also found a little pocket watch so i put the pocket watch in too so a nice gold chain hanging out and Anyway, yeah, one fashion's on the field that day and um, I, I, I got the suit going knowing that I was going to go in it as well. So it wasn't like I didn't get any, oh, I'm going to fashion. I thought, no, I'm going to have a crack at this year. So anyway, I went in and won it and um, yeah, won a, won a diamond ring yep. um, and a big casket of uh, food and alcohol and, and all that and lost a diamond ring at the saloon dance floor one night. <laughs> Ask, so was, ask me what why I took that out of the saloon dance floor. I have no idea. Maybe you I was might thinking have been hoping you found someone to give it to. <laughs> exactly, but I don't know. And anyway, I came home and I said, "I wish I, I lost the ring because it only fit on my little finger. It was that small." Yep. And uh, anyway, so yeah. Oh, just a couple of quick ones, mate. We're um we're nearly finished. Just a couple to fire at you. So, yeah, what's the biggest cool. challenge that you've faced, and how did you overcome it? Uh, my biggest challenge. Um, Oh, I've had a number of along the ways. Probably my, my my number one challenge was, as I mentioned to you before, was probably um, mentioning about Crawford and Wage and, and Lee Harding, that relationship, because that, that um, challenged my morals of who I was about being a loyal person, but also it went against what I what I knew I needed to do. To, or, sorry, I didn't go against I knew I needed to do that. So that was a real challenge. So I was sort of pulling two ways rather than, going the same way. Um, and I, I, I really struggle with um, conflict. I don't like conflict. And it's a, an area that I need to grow in being a coach because you're going to have conflict at times and, yep. and conflict's actually healthy. Um, so that was, that was one area. Um, my parents splitting up, massive. Um, massive for me because I was, I was a mummy's boy, but I did a lot with dad, like a lot of boy stuff, fishing, shooting, um, yeah, with the dogs, you know, camping, all that stuff with dad. But um, and dad would be the one, you know. I played cricket with dad, which was always a highlight of mine, and something I always want to do with my son is play some form of sport. So I got to play cricket at Sheffield with dad, um, and then when mum and dad split up, and I understand it happens now, but at that age when I was only a lot younger, it was it was it was challenging. I thought, oh, yep. shit, I kind of felt like I needed to be loyal to mum. Then I'm like, well, you know, I'm still my dad and that type of stuff. So that was a that was a challenging time. Um, Obviously, going going through uni at, at times, like I mentioned to you previously, like there was times where I thought this isn't for me. I need to give this up. And um, driving down the highway from Lonnie to to, to Devonport, thinking, "Jesus, is this is this really what I want to be doing? Like, do I just stay and and um, or do I want to go home after being home all weekend? Do I want to go back to the uni? Do I just want to stay at home and you know, mum cooks dinner and you know all that? But um, for whatever reason, I stuck it out and, and got there and by far one of the most proudest moments was graduating. Yeah. Yep. So 
Yeah. Excellent. Yep. Um, hmm. What's the best piece of advice you've been given and who did it come from? Does anything come to mind? Uh, I've got a fair bit of advice along my time and I like to, like to um, one bit of advice I was given is always listen. Because as people, we tend to always think about what we want to say next when someone's talking to us rather than actually listening to what's being said. Um, so that was the one piece of advice. Brendan Bolton gave me that. The other bit Brendan Bolton gave me is, and I've mentioned this already, is be when your time comes, make sure you're ready. Yep. So don't, don't rush. Just do your job really well now and be ready. Um, and I live from. Um, another bit, I and the Dicko stuff always lives closely with me around. Don't get your nerves mixed up with excitement. I, I use that a lot with my players now, even when I'm coaching them. About you know, um, we warm up our we warm up our muscles to before we go and exercise um, or play sport. So the other thing now, and I translate Dicko's term to, is nerves are your brain warming up for the for the challenge that you're about to come up with. It's okay, we warm up our body, but why don't we warm up our brain? And that's what actually, so what I say now is our nerves are that. That's our excitement getting ready to go there into battle. So, um, yeah, so they're, they're probably the, the key bits of advice that spring to mind. Um, and then the one mum's always given me is, yeah, reach for the moon because if you miss, you'll land in the stars. And when I was a teacher, I, I had that on my whiteboard regularly to students because I, I am, um, I'm not sure, we probably haven't spoke a lot about my teaching, but I actually worked in alternative learning and I found a real passion in that. I was PE trained, but I actually went into alternative learning based off, um, I wanted to make sure children had the opportunities that potentially I didn't always get as yep. a student because yep. I wasn't the academic. I wasn't the smart one. I wasn't the oh, A student. This one's easy, perfect. Yep. It was good for my class type thing. I wanted to make sure that, um, and when I was coming through, there's a lot of talk around the alternative learning programs and, and whatnot. And um, a lot of talk around, oh, this student just, sit in the back and they draw pictures in their maths book or in their English book or scrunch papers up or, or be a disturbance in the class. But yep. so the teachers wouldn't give them the time in the day. And, and, and to the credit, sometimes they didn't have that because what they were getting measured on is they needed to be measured on how many students they had at C or above. Yep. So they actually didn't have that time. So but that's not fair on one, the teacher in the classroom and two, the student who is disengaged. So I really wanted to make sure that, um, oh, sorry, I had a real passion in making sure those students who were disengaged um, felt valued and, and had an opportunity to still get an education. And um, there's, I use the same strategies I use as a coach by trust, relationships, all that type of stuff before I even yep. put a piece of paper in front and say, learn this. Because I ain't going to learn it until they know they, they know I care about them and what we actually yep. want to do. So we talk about um, mum, dad, you know, what's gone on the night before they hadn't had breakfast, mum and dad fighting all night, or, you know, next door neighbours were hoo ha and all night having a party. So they hadn't been out of sleep. So then they come into our classroom and we expected them to learn. Well, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Like you've had, you've had a rough night, you don't want to go and sit in the classroom the next day and sit there and learn. It just doesn't mm. work. We don't we don't all have the same environments, unfortunately. So um, I had a real passion in that um, in that space. So that's sort of where reach for the moon. If you miss, you land in the stars. So that's sort of what I'm doing at the moment, trying to reach for the moon. And hey, I'll, worst case is I land in the stars. That's basically all I've got for you. I think I've um, drained you of enough knowledge. So. You'll um, nah, you'll sleep well mate. tonight, that's for sure, mate. But I um I really appreciate your time, and you know it's just dealing with you over the last you know few months that we've been talking and things like that. One, I really appreciate your support and the fact that from day one when I first contacted you, you said that you wanted to come on and have a chat, and you know you didn't have to do this. I know how busy you are, um, but also you know over the last couple of days, you know our correspondence and things like that. You know I I don't think it's any fluke that you've got to where you are because you know you you put the time in, you put the effort in, and you know that that care for whatever you're doing definitely comes through and 
like I said to you, um, one of the great things that I love about your story, and this is part of the reason why I started the podcast, is your story, you know, shows that it's, it's never too early to to put steps in place if you've got a goal and something you want to work towards. And your motivation, I think, you know, shone through from the time that you decided to go to play footy at Longford because, you know, you wanted yeah. to, to put things in, in place even, even as a young kid. So don't listen to others who um you know who who try to knock you down and things like that even at a young age if you've got a if you've got a goal and what you want to do just go with your gut and go out there and smash it no thank you and uh, i yeah like i said from where you go mate I, I love what you're doing mate i think it's great and it just yeah uh, encapsulates our and i still consider myself a tasmanian and always will and yep. northwest coaster and um i think it's it's a great what you're doing mate about just capturing that small little part of our our great state so hopefully one day we uh we can have our own AFL team. We're playing a few few AFL games at Devonport Oval or something. <laughs> It'll be awesome, mate. And hopefully yeah, we see nice. you at the hopefully we see you at the brown line. Hopefully those fashion on the field tips will come in handy then. You might win a, <laughs> win a prize on the red carpet. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it, mate? Be perfect. Yeah, good be on good. you, mate. All the best in your journey, uh, anyway. Cheers, mate. Thanks so much to Zane for his time and for coming on and having a chat about his journey. Thanks for listening. This is actually the longest pod I've ever done and I could have spoken to him for longer. It was such a great chat and I love his mindset and some of the messages that uh, that came from our chat. The thing that I love most about Zane's story is how his determination shines through and even at a young age he wasn't afraid to take chances to better himself and work towards his goal and I think this is one of the best messages to come from this. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, leave a review, let me know what you think. If anyone's got any guests that they think it'd be great to get on the podcast make sure you let us know if anyone's interested in sponsoring the podcast make sure that you hit us up either on facebook instagram or at talkhardpodcast.com cheers